Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. I'm asking, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my sister, Lord, that we have yet another day that we might partake in your word, that it may be edifying, Lord, to the listeners, that your anointing may be on these messages that people may understand, that straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find the way. I pray, Lord, that your people become rugged individuals, that they pursue you in the inner man, that it becomes an individual affair, Lord, that we may understand that we've got our own trials, we've got our own battles, we've got our own situations that we must go through. And the only way, Lord, that we're going to go through them and stand strong in you is if we give you the wheel and let you work in our lives. Yes, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, right now for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost. I pray that no flesh be glorified. I pray that no man's heart be heard, Lord, but I only pray that through your spirit of teaching, Lord, that we may all grasp what you mean to tell your people in these times. Yes, Lord, so, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you yes, bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is not of you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name Jesus that you name. bind it, that you cast it out that you trot it underfoot, Lord, and that it blow away, Lord, like the green herb that withereth away. So, Lord, I'm just asking for those who couldn't be here today that you watch over them and their families. I'm praying over hearts that are confused, that are broken, that are in distress, that you make them whole, Lord. And the only way we know that that can be done is if we give it all to you. So, Lord, I just pray and I ask because you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And you said, if we ask anything in your name, it shall be done unto us. Yes, Lord. God. Well, I pray and I ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name Jesus we pray. Name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. All right. So tonight's study is actually going to be called, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> Who is this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, this is something in particular that the Lord brought me to about a couple of weeks ago. I was reading over, you know, some chapters in the Bible, and I thought about David's attitude towards Goliath and what he felt about him when he saw him. We're going to break that down today and find out exactly what David was trying to say, because it wasn't necessarily that he was throwing insults at him. David was just looking at things from a very clear God-like perspective, okay? And I think for Christians, we all have our battles to face. We all have things that we go through. We all face mountains in our lives and giants that are very difficult to deal with, you know, in the physical. 
But what we've got to understand that if we have the Lord, we are the major, we are the majority. We are not the minority. Amen. And that's something that we have to learn to come to that place that every time that you stand for the Lord, every time that you walk with God and you give your life to him, God will be there with you. I don't care where it is. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what's happening. He says if we, um, you know, give it all to him and we allow God to work in our lives and he's going to do miraculous works. Right. For them that know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. So it's about knowing Jesus. It's about drawing closer to him to where we develop the mind, the heart, the mouth, the way that Jesus walked, the way that he presented himself, how he was never short of words, how he relied on the spirit for everything that he did and everything that he said. And if we come to that conclusion that through Jesus Christ, there is nothing too impossible for us, then we can look at areas in our lives and ask the question, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Because that's how we've got to see it. I'm talking the education system. I'm talking the political world. I'm talking the homosexuality agenda. I'm talking the abortion people. Okay, when we look at those that defy the living God, that go against him, and these people are getting bold and they're getting brash and they're saying, how dare you speak up for the name of Jesus? We're going to deal with you? Then my thing is, then come and deal with me. Because you're not going to be dealing with me alone. You're going to be dealing with him. That's right. But you see, if we hold any of the things that I name above the word of God, above Jesus Christ, above this spirit, then what we find ourselves doing is compromising. Yep. And that's not, God didn't die for a bunch of wimpy, you know, chumpish, you know, punks that won't, that don't understand that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Amen. Okay. We spoke to overcomers. Jesus spoke to seven churches. Jesus spoke to the people. Paul said that we are more than conquerors. We got to believe this. We've got to stand in this and we've got to believe this because Jesus is just waiting for an army. He's waiting for a church. He's waiting for a people that are willing to understand what this inheritance is about and who the king of kings is. And if we got God, we've got everything. Right, so let's get started. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17 and let's look at verse 1. 1 Samuel 17 and 1. You know, that's what we got to learn to do. We've got to trust in the living God. Amen. Not in ourselves. And we're going to find out why so many people are punking out and afraid to stand for Jesus. We're going we're gonna to discuss that as well and what we can do to avoid it and move on with the Lord. So this is 1 Samuel 17. Let's look at verse 1, and it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, and and be, uh, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in a festament. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And a Philistine stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on the other, a mountain on the other. And there was a valley between them. So as you can see, these are two armies, one opposed to the other. When it says they stood on a mountain, that means, you know, in many cases they stood up high. They were both proclaiming what they believed. This is important to grasp. Verse 4, 
And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So there are people that did the measurements of this. They said it's between 10 and 11 feet. And, um, you know, it's just something to think about. Some people even think 13 feet if you count the ancient cubit. But, you know, to think about that, that's almost two six-foot men standing on top of one another. I mean, that's big. And they said the way that these giants were, these Nephilim were, is that we tend to grow, I think it's like four by six or something like that, or four by two. Like, in other words, we are a fourth of, of width of how tall we are. Mm -hmm. But those giants were also probably, the giants were built different, where they were almost as wide as they were tall. I think it was like four to six or something like that. But they might have been, let's just say, 12 feet tall, but they were probably close to eight feet in width or six feet. Yeah. Can you imagine how wide an individual like that is? Six to eight feet. That's so huge. they were like, as they grew, it was almost like a pyramid. Mm -hmm. Like they were growing out, like an upside down pyramid. Mm -hmm. So those guys, although they were tall, they were very wide and had a lot of muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure Goliath was frightening. But see, this is the champion of the enemies. Okay, that he's always big. He's always strong. But let's look at verse five. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and a weight of his of the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. So this guy was no doubt strong, but he says he had a helmet of of brass. We've gone over this many times before. The helmet that Goliath was carrying, and what brass under what brass means is flesh. You know, it's a helmet of the natural mind. It's a helmet of flesh. All right, look at verse uh, six. And he had greaves upon brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. So not only was his thinking patterns flesh, or his head flesh, but then if you look at the brass upon his legs, he even walked in the flesh, okay? When you think about the target of brass between his shoulders, this guy was covered in flesh. His whole understanding, his righteousness, his heart, everything was protected by the flesh. Now, that's not the purpose tonight, so I don't want to get too deep into this, but... You know, when the Bible tells us not to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit, this guy, in, other, in so many ways, was a total enemy of God. Okay? He was the natural man, and God is the spiritual man. Let's look. Yeah, what are you going to say? Something, too. If you look at this as opposed to the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it's a complete opposite. Opposite. Yeah. Yep. He's, uh, his whole armor is flesh. Mm -hmm. And it says, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. So as you can see, he's got, you know, somebody going before him with a shield, like one of his little armor bearers. Look at verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you. And let him come down to me. So as you can see, Goliath is very confident in this situation where he felt like, well, I'm bigger than everybody else here and I'm a warrior and that's all I know. But, you know, Goliath was the only one here talking sense. What are we doing standing around in battle array? What are we prayed and fasted up for? Why are we standing on the hill looking at the enemy when we should be engaging the enemy? So Goliath was the only one here with any sense. If I'm your enemy... 
What are you guys doing standing over there looking at me? And I would have to ask the Christians today, what are you doing even whining and dining with the devil? Mm -hmm. What are you even doing wanting to be accepted by him if this guy is your enemy? And I'm not talking about fighting with flesh and blood. I'm talking about what these individuals stand for that you know are contrary to the gospel. Jesus didn't just come to love everybody. He came to break down strongholds and set captives free. That's what we should be doing. So he says, let him come down to me. All right. And then he, uh, yeah, okay. So he, made, he also made clear in verse 8 that these men were servants of Saul. He never mentioned the one true God. Mm -hmm. And we're going to even put emphasis on that. Look at verse 9. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. So let's just say when Jesus made clear in uh, Matthew chapter 5 that you can't take a light and put it under a bushel, that you can't... Um, you know, that we are the light of the world. And, you know, no, he says we are the light and salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, it is no good henceforth, but to be trodden under the foot of men. Okay, so let's look at this. If we call ourselves a church, comparing what Goliath said here, and Goliath said, hey, if you're able to kill me, then I'll be your servants. We'll be your servants. But if I kill you, then you guys will serve me. Now, if we were to look at the world today and where we are, are we winning as Christians or are we losing? Because I find with the church a whole lot of compromise, a whole lot of trying to be like the world. So you got to ask yourself, what's really going on here? Because Goliath already gave the terms of the rules of engagement that if I win, you will serve me. You don't see the world serving the church as it used to. The world used to be very afraid of the church because the church had a lot of power. The church used to get in your face and say what was right and wrong. But now we're getting fed with that garbage doctrine. Don't judge. You know, let's just love one another. Yeah, well, I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth. But you see, this is what's going on in this world concerning this, these rules of engagement. Goliath just said, if I win, you will be my servants. And what do you find the church and everything doing today? Becoming the servants of the world. Look at verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of, of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So as you can see, Goliath is, you know, hey man, I defy the armies of God. Who is God to tell me anything? I'll go to any church and say, bleep you. I mean, this is how these people talk today. This is how proud the homosexuality agenda is today. Mm -hmm. This is how these people are saying, man, I defy God. I stand up against him. Now, who? I dare one of you to come up against me. So as you can see, the devil has lost fear of the church. Okay? The devil knows that that place is his. And also, the devil didn't start barking at the church until he owned it. See, he's no fool. Okay? So unless he's got his agents on the inside, he ain't going to come up against something. Yep. But remember, this whole world has to conform for the coming of the Antichrist. What did it say? Before he comes, there will be a great falling away. So Goliath is bold right now for only one reason. He knows that the armies of Israel are afraid. Mm -hmm. He knows that because if you were really who you say you are and you believe Jesus is who he is, then you would come see me. 
But instead, you keep your distance because you're worried about your job and your career and your family and your friends and how it's going to look before all. So I know you don't have any guts to come up against me. This is why the devil is so bold, because the church has sold out to the enemy just for the sake of going along to get along. That's right. So he says in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So these guys were confused. They were falling apart and they were afraid. But if they were really armies of the Lord, they would have, what? You know what I mean? Like John Lennon, like we talked about um, last week. When John Lennon said that he believes that he's more popular than Jesus Christ or the Beatles were, people took them albums. Like, you what? <laughs> they went and stomped them albums out. And I mean, they were going to lose so much money. People were throwing that garbage out on the streets and stomping on it. And John Lennon had to come forward and have a public apology about how I wasn't disrespecting Jesus. You know, forgive me. I didn't mean it that way and all that just to try and get on board. But like I said, today, you got Elton John and all these other guys calling Jesus a gay man, and the church is not doing anything. Why do you think Elton John said it later on in life when he believed in Jesus? Because he knew, or his controllers knew, that, man, the church ain't in battle array anymore. They're not fighting for what's right. They're conforming, okay? So anyway, they were greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. So as you can see, these oldest brothers, they were in the battle with Saul. What we also have to understand, too, as we talked about last week, these guys were all passed up to be anointed of God. Okay, they thought that they were bigger and stronger. God said, I look at the heart. I'm not looking at their size and their looks and everything else. So as you can see, these guys um, were passed up. So they're in the armies of Saul. But David was anointed by Samuel even though he's off doing something else. Notice he's not with the collective. He's doing what, what God assigned him to do. He's protecting the sheep. Let's look at verse uh, 15. But David went and returned from Saul to feed uh, his father's sheep of Beth at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said unto David, his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. So again, we talked about before that David is a type of Jesus Christ. He was also from Bethlehem. He was a king like, like um, Jesus Christ was and he was of the tribe of Judah. Okay, but when we look at this, it's talking about here that David was supposed to go join his brethren in the fight and take their pledge. And that's pretty much what Jesus did. How did Jesus take our pledge? He came in the flesh for all mankind and to die. He was tempted of all sins, just like everyone else, but not sin. Mm -hmm. But he was, he, you know, he was endured all temptations. 
so he can understand us better than anybody. And this is the perfect man to stand before God or the devil and to tell him what's going to be. Why? Because he resisted the temptation. So David took their pledge. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left his sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host uh, was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. So David left whatever responsibilities in the world he had behind. And when it came time to enlist in war, David was in the battle. That's important that we understand that because later on in the gospels, when Jesus calls people to come to the marriage supper or to be a partaker of the laborers in his vineyard, you had a lot of people standing idle doing absolutely nothing. And this is what you see today. Mm -hmm. So David left everything behind, left the sheep in the care of a keeper. Hey man, I got to get in this battle. This is what I was called by my father to do. Yep. Um, and it says in verse um, 23, and as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. So as you can see, you know, Goliath already said, I defy um, Israel, and um, this and that, and he said, you know, he downplayed Israel and its army. The only difference today is now you've got an actual believer that's sitting there or standing there now that heard what was said. I'm telling you, man, this is why a lot of the church will not engage in standing for Jesus at the risk of anything because there are no believers in the midst. If Israel actually thought and they were believers that they can handle the situation, they would be in it. The very fact that they aren't is because they do not believe. And that's the bottom line. That's right. So it says, David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So they ran away from Goliath. And the men of Israel said, Have ye um, seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him the king will enrich him uh, with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So that was the bounty. That's what the um, the reward was. Man, if anybody comes in, they are going to get all of these riches, okay? They are going to be given great reward because no one can handle this guy. Verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David here just came out and pretty much said, you know what he's going to do concerning this. Like, hey man, how much for this guy? How much are y'all offering? But you see, this is how the church is living poor today and not rich. Maybe the church would have more favor. Maybe God would do more for the church if the church actually claimed back the land that the enemy took away. I'm not saying this thing is about money, 
But what I'm saying is there's a reason why maybe so many Christians live well below their inheritance because they're joining the devil in his battle instead of fighting against the devil in this battle. There were many times at work, you know, look at the three Hebrew boys, how they had their positions that they worked very high positions. But when they had to jump in that fire, when they had to, you know, um, not bow the knee to the enemy, what happened? They were promoted by Nebuchadnezzar after that. But you see, how many people are willing to go through things just to have a promotion? You see, you'd rather conform to the collective, and that's why in many cases the devil dictates to you what you do on the job. I'm not saying this thing is about money by any means, but what I'm saying is don't cry that you got no, you can't pay your bills and do this and that, and you haven't even stood up for the Lord. You don't know what he would do. Right. You're going to the dictates of the devil and letting him pay you out what he wants to pay you instead of standing for Christ and seeing what God will supply for you. So David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So let's look at this. Now, we know that there was no way that we could know if Goliath was uncircumcised except that he was what? A Gentile. Okay, he was a heathen. He was not of Israel. Israel were the only people that were given the right to be circumcised. And what it understood, we're going to go into. We're going to talk about the value of that. But one thing David knew when he said uncircumcised, he was defining Goliath as he doesn't have the God we have. Mm -hmm. This guy has no God, at least not the one we have in our lineage and our heritage and all that we've seen and all that's going on. So David is not asking the question, trying to insult him. David is wondering, why are you guys even standing here when this guy has no God? This guy has no Jesus Christ. So who is this uncircumcised heathen to defy the armies of the living God? David at this point was the only one making sense. This guy has no God. He's insulting the God that destroyed giants bigger than him before the flood and after the flood. And we're sitting here listening to this guy for 40 days. Man, are you kidding me? We should hand his butt to him right now in the battle. How did you let it go 40 days? But these are questions we got to ask ourselves. Look at the homosexuals, the agenda I'm talking about. Look at how they will curse your God, how they will go to places and sue. I mean, the woman wouldn't even make a cake for them because of the fact that she knew what it represented. And they made that woman's life hell. They went and told when they could have gone to the justice of peace, they went to a Christian bakery, okay, to try and hurt someone. So you see, these people are daring you to speak up. But I like what that woman did, and I would feel the same way. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that they should defy the armies of the living God? Mm -hmm. And you see, the only Christians that will bow the knee to this type of trash are Christians that don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because if they believed it, they would stand for him and recognize the great insult that is being done here. Now, you're, you're insulting my God, and I'm supposed to be okay with that? No, nah, man. So he said, and he called him the living God, meaning he's still here, and he's watching over all. He's waiting for you guys to have some faith and make a move. That means he never went anywhere. Yep. Verse 27, and the people answered him after this man is saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, the oldest brother, um, um, Oh, heard when he spake unto the men, 
And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou shalt for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Now I want to make something real clear here. I just picked this up. David was not even talking to Eliab. David was talking to the men of the army. Okay, David was bringing forth faith and believing God and saying, man, why are we even wasting our time with this? And they kind of, you know, heard him and says, and the people answered, this is verse 27, answered him after this man is saying, so shall it be to the man that killeth him. So these people were actually, you know, promoting what David was saying. But then you look at Eliab, who is the brother of David, is upset because his younger brother has faith. Now let's look at this. It says he heard David speak to the people and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why came down? Why do you come here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? So in other words, let's just break this down to a modern day example. Why are you going to go and try and preach the gospel and believe Jesus Christ when you know you got to eat? You know you got a job. You know, so you mean to say you're going to leave your job or you're going to leave the things behind of the world to pursue doing things for Jesus? Man, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard in my life. This is pretty much what's being said because David has faith to go and take care of a situation. But you see how your own brother, the, the ones that are close to you, the ones who call themselves Christians, like Eliab just called himself a soldier, don't even see the merit in giving your life over to Jesus. So you see, this is why when you try and stand for Christ, people will try and talk you out of it. And like Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, he said, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, you know, because thou savorest the things that be of men and not of God. So as you can see, there's two different wills engaged here. David is ready to deal with this guy because he insulted God and the armies of God because he's standing under the banner of the one true God. Eliab is just a pretender in a uniform, okay? I mean, you know, looking like a Christian, but won't take two steps towards what Christians do, mm -hmm. okay? But you always find it's those people that will tell a Christian that's ready to go out and do what, what needs to be done, man, you ain't got no love. See, your problem is you're proud. You're trying to show that you know more than other people, that you're tough or whatever like that. But you see, it's not about that, brother. It's about love. We've got to love one another. So you see, these people don't even understand. So he's jumping on David's case like the church jumps on its own case when they should be fighting the enemy. Look at verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? So this is something that we've got to ask ourselves and really look at. Is there not a cause to stand for the truth in Jesus Christ? Is there not a cause to stand for the word of God? Is there not a cause to see people that are twisted and warped in homosexuality, in abortion, in all sorts of alcoholism, drugs, demon possession, all these things out there? Is there not a cause to serve the living God? Is there not a cause to preach the gospel and do what Jesus Christ says that people can find eternal life and be whole? Do you really favor your own personal life and personal weaknesses and all this trash you can have in the here and now? 
against the cause of the living God, which is to win souls, which is to proclaim the gospel, which is to break down strongholds that people can be saved? Is there not a cause? Look at verse, uh, verse 30. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So David wasn't just fighting for his own cause. David was fighting that Israel will be set free. These are two different situations concerning Christians that we've got to understand. True Christians live selfless lives, and the cause of them is to go after those who need to be saved. False Christians live carnal lives and are concerned for self, but they outwardly profess the, the, um, the name of Jesus Christ. So you see, one is a doer, and the other is a great pretender. So he says, so David standing for Israel, verse 33, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So as you can see, Goliath wasn't the only one wearing a brass helmet. Saul here is looking at the situation. He's bigger, he's stronger. So if Saul is a type of minister, you may as well say, or a type of pastor, and the flock is the armies of the living God that are in churches. And you got pastors telling you, hey man, there's no way, there's no cure for cancer. You got to go to the doctor for every little situation. Hey man, there's no cure for HIV and AIDS. Hey, you got to understand, you preach that gospel at work, you can get thrown in jail. Then what would your life be? So you see, this guy's supposed to be the king. And what he's preaching is fear and unbelief. What he's preaching is what's carnal. Oh, they're bigger, they're stronger, they control all the money in society. You better watch it now. See, that's the devil. But as you can see, someone who's a believer in Christ doesn't look at the circumstances. So let's look at David's response to what Saul said about he's a man of war and you're just a youth, but he was a man of war from his youth. Mm -hmm. Verse 34, And David said unto Saul, and I'm sure he didn't even blink, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, and smote him, and slew him. So David's making it clear, I don't know what you guys have done, you know, as far as being the armies of Saul, being dressed up in battle array. But one thing I know is... <laughs> I've dealt with a lion and a bear before in my life because of my love for the sheep. Mm -hmm. So if you think that you're trying to talk me out of this, then I'm going to lose faith. You better think again. So David has been a proven soldier by the Lord that he knows what God can do. And this is the difference. And that's why it says in Daniel 11, for them that know their God, they will be strong and do exploits. But for those that don't, all they're going to live is in conformity to the world unbelief, trying to talk other people out of it. Mm -hmm. You see, but the people of God and David knowing his God, he, you know, he didn't have fear. Yep. So he killed a lion and a bear. Look at verse 36. 
And then he says, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So there was no talking David out of this. David had pure faith. He saw the bigger agenda. Yeah, I might actually go out there and get killed. You know, but the bottom line is Israel is captive right now. We're going to lose the very lineage that we have. People are going to look at us and laugh at us if we don't stand up for the living God. So he was looking at it more from the standpoint of, yeah, I may lose an arm, I may die, but one thing is for sure, even in my death, this God will not be making fun of the one true God. Amen. Okay, so he stood for the truth. That's right. He said this uncircumcised. See, every time they lifted up, there's another point. Every time they lifted up Goliath to be big and strong, David pushed him right back down, but he's uncircumcised. And he's a Philistine. He's an unbeliever. It doesn't matter. David put the world and the enemy back in his rightful place as the footstool to the one true God. Mm -hmm. So this is what a Christian will do. So, all right. So he says, he defied the armies of the living God and he will be like the lion and the bear. Verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So as you can see, everybody ain't in this fight with you. When you decide to go, you know, then you go. But you will be going as an individual. Salvation is an individual affair that David is going forward with. Now, if David wasn't serious, when Saul said go, he would say, So wait a minute, you guys not coming with me? Because I thought, no, no, I thought that I was going to deal with him. But in case things get rough, you guys will back me up. If David would have died out here in battle this day, no one would have backed him up. Mm -hmm. They would have said, that foolish young lad, we told him. But as you can see, there was more on the line than this. David was prepared to go, and he didn't ask for anybody's help. So when people are serious, they go. Yes, sir. And I tell you what, this is something that... The Lord's been talking to me about, and I think it's true for every ministry, is that we got to have a challenge in our lives and in ministry. Because if we don't, what happens is that we get complacent. Mm -hmm. We start looking at self again. We start going back into our lackadaisical lives. We start whining and moping about why isn't this happened? Why isn't that happened? And that's why the Lord has to throw a monkey wrench in operation sometimes and let things happen to us. So we see how he has provided for us. But if we're not given a challenge, if we're not given a Goliath in our life to do what David's doing here, that's then right. we get we get like everyone else in the army that's saying, shh, be quiet, be quiet. Don't you know who this person is? Mm -hmm. well, we got to be like David. But a lot of times we're more like the army instead of being like David. Exactly. And that's absolutely true because when you think about how God intends to use us all, he even told them in Judges chapter 3. In Judges 3, remember when the, um, you know, he said that he took Israel through the wilderness mm -hmm. to teach these people to war. Mm -hmm. So God wants you to know how to deal with situations and he wants you to grow from faith to faith, glory to glory. Mm -hmm. But you cannot grow and get higher with the Lord unless you have obstacles that he puts in front of you that you step over. So the God is, he's allowing the devil to roam around there free 
but even he's got somewhat of a leash that he can't just do what he wants to do. But God is allowing us to be tried so that we can trust the Lord. I agree 100% with what you said. So it says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon the armor, and he essayed to go, and he had, and he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proven them. And David put them off. So, you know, put them off him. So what we got to understand is Saul was trying to, you know, put David in some carnal armor. But David said, man, I, I've never used this mess. All I know is to trust in the one true God. So as you can see, he took that off and said, the same way I fought the lion and the bear, that's how I'm going to deal with this Philistine. You know, and, and that's how we've got to go in faith. I've even noticed at times when we go and minister, if somebody says, you know, in some cases, let me come with you, you know, it can be a help, but it can also be a hindrance. Because sometimes you go out there and you minister, and you got five, ten people, people coming with you, and you feel strong in the Lord, and you were, hey, hey, you, come in. Let me talk to you about Jesus and this and that. Because you got nine people standing behind you. So you feel bold like, yeah, we got the crew out here. But see, when things start to get a little rough, when the devil distracts people with work and all sorts of other things, you'll find that group get very thin. And what you begin to find out is you're not as tough as you thought. Because when it gets reduced to one or two people, now you recognize... <laughs> I'm I'm out here alone. Can now I, I'm going to... Can I talk to you about Jesus? Exactly. But now you, oh, do you need prayer, this and that? But before that, you were barking at people, telling them to come in, and you felt like you were Moses. You felt like you were John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness. But when these people cut out from you, then you find out, I'm just a little cat meowing, asking to be let in. But you see, God has got to clear this from us so we can truly be authentic. So David said, man, I'm putting that off. And that's why in many ways I praise the Lord for that experience mm -hmm. that I want to be out there alone sometimes. I want to be out there just one or two people. Amen. Why? Because of the fact that you know that anything that will be accomplished, it'll be the Lord that does that's it. Right. But when you start trusting in numbers, man, it'll make a punk out of you. I'm telling you that just so you know it. Not saying there's anything wrong with numbers, but let those people be as strong in the Lord as you are. That exactly. means you can go with them or without them. Exactly. Okay, but when you need a group or you won't move, that tells you everything you need to know about yourself. Mm -hmm. That you are not who you say you are. So it says um, in verse 40, so David trusted in the army, he in the armor of God. And not this coat of mail that Saul tried to put on him. If you're scared to use it, what made you think I want to use it? Exactly. You know, so verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones. So what did David pick up? Five stones and the staff. That staff represents God's authority. And those smooth stones represent grace and other things. But I'm not going to go into that tonight. But he picked him up five stones. And one thing we got to know about Goliath Goliath had four brothers, okay? So David wasn't just planning on fighting Goliath. He knew there may be more. There may be some retaliation. So as he was already planning, and that takes guts. If there's five giants and you pick up five stones, that takes guts because you know what you're banking on? I'm not going to miss. 
The word is not going to return void. When I stand for Christ, he's going to stand for me. But that takes guts. Mm -hmm. Five stones? Why not carry ten in case you miss? He picked up five because he knew for every blow that I strike in the name of Christ, it's going to hit him where it hurts. This is a man of faith. Yep. All right. So he took up five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So David was going forward. He wasn't backing up. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. So don't think in many cases when we decide to go and preach the gospel, don't get so fantasized in your mind from watching the Ten Commandments and King of Kings that you think when you proclaim the word, in most cases, the devil is going to back up. You know, no, the devil may actually come forward. Like if you say, if they come and ask you in the workplace, so what do you think of um, homosexuality? And, you know, some people would say, well, I don't think nothing of it, but I know this. It's an abomination before the Lord. Now, you think people automatically going to say, oh, man, you know, he sounded serious. So now the boss is going to say, what did you say? Because I just want to hear you correctly. What was that that you just said? Well, the Bible says it's an abomination. Okay, I'm glad you said that because there'll be a pink slip on your day. Matter of fact, just leave. You know, whatever. Go, go pick up your slip. Okay, and someone else will finish out the rest of the day and clean out your desk while you're at it. See, now, if we say it's an abomination and the enemy backs off, then you say, that's right, I'm standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. I ain't fair nothing. But then when the devil draws near to you and says, okay, we're going to take your job and you will be blacklisted, meaning you probably won't get a job anywhere else. Or you will be thrown in jail and charges will be pressed against you because it's illegal to talk about homosexuality in the workplace. See, when the devil bucks up on you like that, you got to get to that place, man. Hey, man, you do what you got to do because I ain't fearing nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the Bible still says it's an abomination. It is written. When you come at the devil like that, I mean, then he'll know, okay, I'm in a fight here. But if he can threaten you with your job and you'll be, well, see, no, it's not, no, but see, I was not mad. What I'm trying to say is, it was an abomination, but the Bible said, no, it wasn't me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I mean, me personally, I don't hate people. I love people. This is what you find today. Oh, no, no, I love, no, I don't hate the sinner. I hate the sin. Hey, the Bible calls it an abomination, and that's all I know about it. Mm -hmm. So when you draw near to the devil, don't think in every case that the devil's going to draw back. No, he's going to draw near to you. He's going to find out exactly what you got. Do you really believe? All right, let me make the point. And um, it says, And the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and the man that bare his shield went before him. So you got to understand, too, this, this Goliath has reinforcements. Okay? He can talk to human resources and get you removed real quick. He owns the police department, too. Okay? So we got to keep in mind that when we stand for Christ, we may have to battle more than one out there. Mm -hmm. All right? So it says in verse 42, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. Man, I've seen this smug look of the enemy. When you decide to stand for the truth in Christ and you say what the Bible says, how people get this look. You and your little limited education with your old book. 
What do you think that's going to do and help you out today? This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said to the three Hebrew boys. Who is this God of yours that will, that will deliver you out of my hand? So this is the exact same thing we're dealing with, guys. I promise I'm going to make the point. I'm just trying to break this down into terms today and what we ought to stand for. So, you know, he looked at David, oh, he ain't so much. Verse 43, and the Philistines said unto David, am I a dog uh, that thou camest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So you see now it's personal. You know, he looked at him and said, man, what do you think I'm a dog? You're just picking up some little sticks or whatever for me. And he said, then he cursed David by his God, just getting personal. Mm -hmm. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield. So this is awesome because he said, David, you don't really have military weapons to try and fight me. What do you think I am? Am I a dog? Do you think this is a game, little boy? I'm about to kill you. But then David is saying, You coming to me with a sword and a shield? You coming to me with a government and a tank? You coming to me with taxes and with jail? You're going to need more than that to stand up against the living God. Mm -hmm. You can bring your old military out here. It ain't going to be enough. That's right. Things that are shield and a spear. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. So he's coming in the name of the Lord, and that's it. Man, if Christians only believe this, verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass to the host of the Philistines this day, unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So he was standing for God, not for his own preservation. Remember, Saul was only fighting for the army of the, his kingdom. Uh -huh. Remember, the Bible told you in 1 Samuel 8 what Saul was about. If you only fight for your household, if you only fight for the here and now, if you only fight for the things that you need, when it comes time to face the devil, you won't have any guts because the devil owns all that stuff. He owns the natural realm. So look at verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I love David. Amen. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran towards the army and, uh, to meet the Philistine. So David wasn't somebody that was like, oh, man, you know, he's actually, now that the talk is over, he's actually going to make a move on me. Mm -hmm. David was like happy, like, oh, yeah, you going? I'm going. So as the Philistine walked out there like, ah, David ran out there, all right? To every one step the Philistine took, David was hurrying unto the battle that we're going to make this happen. David was crazy, huh? Amen. Full of faith. So it says in verse uh, 49. 49, and David put his hand in his bag and took then to stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into the forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone. 
and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in his hand of David. So you understand that what's being said here is, because we don't have time to break all this down, but the point is, is the stone that David slung that was, that was thrown by the Lord, I'm sure the Lord guided that stone. It hit him in the head, okay, and sunk in. It didn't just hit him in the head and kill him. It sunk in deep. When we go and preach the gospel, a lot of people, we got to hit in the head with the gospel that it sinks in, that they may get it, that the strong man that's in them may be broken down mm -hmm. and these people get set free. But you see, it's going to take guts. It's going to take the question. It's going to take what is necessary is who is willing to stand for the Lord? Who will believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? God says, I go to and fro in the earth looking for a man that will stand for the truth of God. So this is what this is about. Although Goliath might have been frightening, although Goliath might have had a spear, man, that weighed I don't know how much, although Goliath beat every enemy that he's ever had, the bottom line was Goliath was uncircumcised. Okay, and that's all David knew. More importantly, he knew he stood for the living God. That's right. Who we know today is Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Ghost. And we've got to learn that if Jesus was if Jesus was given a name that is above every name, that is that staff in our hand. Okay, the gospel that Jesus Christ preached, that is the truth and that shield and buckler. That is all we need to stand for Jesus. And that spirit surrounds us with that armor. That's what this is about. Yep. The power of God. Let's go to Genesis 17. I want to make a point here. Genesis chapter 17. But you know what? I should read something real quick in 1 Samuel 17. One second. Have Genesis um, 17 ready, but I just wanted to go here because it's something I forgot. All right, so this is 1 Samuel 17. And um, I believe where I ended it was, this is verse uh, 51. It says, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath therefore, thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley uh, and of the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of uh, Sherayim, and it says, um, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. So what we've got to understand is about this, that sometimes it takes one person to stand up. And that's why it's good to do things alone at times when you're dealing with the Lord, because you really do trust and believe him. But, you know, a lot of Christians want to engage themselves in war today because they're looking for a blaze, a roaring blaze already going on. Mm -hmm. So while God is already burning the enemy down, then the Christian wants to come in and throw a little more fire in there. Sometimes you're going to run into places that are desolate, okay, where it looks like the enemy has got this one, okay? But sometimes it takes a little spark that will give life to a flame, that will give life to a roaring blaze. Some people don't have the guts to speak up until you speak. And then there may be people that will back you up. Yeah. But that's why we got to learn to do this for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. 
Okay, don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at how many of them there are. We just got to keep ourselves focused on him because sometimes it takes a spark. And you notice once David did what he did, then came Israel. Now they're ready to fight because they realized God was with David. Yeah. You know, David stood up. Now they're all ready to chase the Philistines back to where they came from. But sometimes it takes one. But what David recognized about the enemy is he's uncircumcised. Yeah. I don't care if he's 250 feet tall and a million pounds. This guy's uncircumcised. That's all I need to know. Right. That's all we need to know. Thank and we're going to talk about it. So let's look at Genesis 17. And let's look at verse 1. Genesis 17 and 1. And it says, And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. So if he stays with God, he walks with God, God will multiply his seed. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for the father of many nations have I made thee. So look at the faith in God. This man is 90 years old, no kids. And the Lord is proclaiming to him what's going to be. And he even changed his name in advance. Just to say, Abraham, you need a new title. If you're going to be up under me because I am going to bring this to pass. So look at the relationship and the covenant that God gave him. So he says um, in verse 6, And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations, oh, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And David is one of those kings. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Amen. And I tell you, that's what it's like when, when our faith is just so strong in the Lord and we're not, you know, we're not just looking to ourselves. But we're looking, Lord... You know, considering everything that the Lord has done for us, and He's always been faithful to us. You know, He's always that strong mountain that the mountain that never moves. We're the one that moved, but the Lord has always been faithful under us, a faithful unto us, and He's always taken care of us and made sure that our, our every need is met. And we still get selfish. We still get like the children of Israel, whining and complaining and moping around. But it's like if our faith is just—I mean, Abraham obviously had the faith of a mustard seed. I mean, that is quite obvious mm -hmm. here because it's like even when, and we know what happened between, you know, Ishmael being brought forth, but the, but here's the thing is that God still was faithful unto his promise. Even though Abraham had sinned, he was still faithful unto his promise. Exactly. With Isaac, and, and even Abraham, you know, gave Isaac back to the Lord immediately mm -hmm. after. He said, go up to this mountain and do this, and he did it. Just like that, there was no, but Lord, this is my only son. You know, really, you're going to be, but you know what? That's what modern day Christians do today. That's right. The Lord blesses them, and he wants to use those children, but the parents get in the way mm -hmm. of God's will. And it's like, no, according to the scripture, give those children back to God. If you don't want to see them like 
the rest of the corrupt world today. Exactly. And, you know, these are the promises that God makes to people that are friends. Abraham was known as a friend of God. Mm -hmm. God said, I won't only bless you, Abraham, but I'll bless your seed. Mm -hmm. And they will be fruitful. And you will be the father of many nations. So out of your loins will come all this abundance. And Abraham is 90. Not seeing any of that right now. 99. But this is what I'm saying. 99. <laughs> so you've got to trust God. That's right. Okay? And that's a double nine. You know, meaning finality. Yeah. yeah. That was a proclamation that God gave him. That's right. So anyway, he says, I believe I'm in verse uh, seven. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So look at this other promise God gave them. Abraham, I think it's back in Genesis 14 or 15, but Abraham is walking and looking across the Jordan at the land of Canaan, okay? And I believe that, or he was in Canaan looking, and there was nothing but the giant tribes walking around there. So, I mean, that takes real faith for the Lord to say, you see this land, Abraham? Even though you got the giants running all over it, that, hey, I will take care of these things for you. This land will be your land. So you see, Abraham was a man that believed, even though he hadn't seen the evidence yet. Look at verse 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. Therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and your seed. So as you can see, parents are supposed to be preaching the gospel to their kids. Why? So that they may also inherit eternal life and be blessed. Mm -hmm. You keep this from your kids and then you wonder why they've gone crazy. Yep. So he says, um, and thy seed after thee in their generations. Verse 10. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt between me and you and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man child in your generations he that is born in the house or bought uh, with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. So this was a type of being born again. You notice how he promised the inheritance, but to be born again was to be circumcised. This is what Jesus is talking about. When you're born again, the circumcision takes place in the heart, that you begin to have a heart after Christ and not yourself. What they were doing it here for was cleanliness and to recognize God is their head. Okay, so when you're circumcised, that means you're separated from sin, separated from the world, separated from all unrighteousness, that God is your head. Mm -hmm. So that's the covenant that God made with Abraham. Yeah. So it's easy to understand why David said, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's not even a part of the original covenant, you know, to come and defy the armies of the living God. Mm -hmm. So let's look at verse 12 and he that, is, oh, verse 13, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with the money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh uh, for an everlasting covenant. So in other words, 
If there's any foreigners that you get along with, that might be Gentiles. If there are people that, you know, might stop in for a visit that want to get to know you, you better preach the gospel. That's how it's supposed to be with us. Yeah. If there's anybody even from another family or a servant that you might hire to work for you, he better be a believer. You better tell him the truth. He better get, you know, circumcised as well mm -hmm. if he's going to be in here. Amen. So God is allowing, like he said, be ye holy for I am holy. What does he say in, in uh, 2 Corinthians um, 6 and 14? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For yeah. what right have Christ with Antichrist or Christ with Belial or righteousness with unrighteousness? So you see, in Abraham's home, in order to be blessed and to keep this covenant, mm -hmm. Abraham had to, one, like Christians should do today, preach the gospel. Now, some people would say it doesn't say that, but you got to understand what's being said. Abraham is being taught cleanliness of God and what is acceptable in the eyes of God. That's and right. Abraham, in turn, is giving it unto strangers that may come, his own men servants, people that will be around. So you see, this has not changed. And notice it says to be snipped, almost like being born again. You got to be born again of the house of Abraham, which is what? The house of faith. Mm -hmm. The same way it is with Jesus Christ. Yep. Amen. So look at verse 14. And he says, and the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He have broken my covenant. So you understand what this means? He's saying that that person will be cut off. Hey, if you don't want to serve Jesus Christ, you got nothing to do with him, and you don't want him, you're cut off. You got nothing to do with in here. So when you got comedians like Steve Harvey talking about giving people marital advice, Steve Harvey's not even saved. Mm -hmm. Okay, when you got people talking about Oprah, talking about what should be going on in the church and how things should be and how we need to worship God, Oprah's not even in this. She's an unbeliever. She's got no expertise or no moral authority to say a word about the gospel or about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But you know how many Christians believe Oprah? You know how many Christians flock to Steve Harvey and all these other worldly people? They got nothing to do with what's going on in here. They're uncircumcised. You're cut off. Okay, but if you want to be circumcised, you can be born again. You can give your life to Jesus Christ and move on. But outside of that, you've got no way in here. So you see, this was the purpose of circumcision that I wanted to bring forward why David had no respect for a Goliath, and rightfully so. Man, you're not even in this, and you're talking tough. Man, I, my God will annihilate you. Yep. That's what this is about. Let's go to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23, and let's look at verse 8. This is 2 Samuel 23. Let's look at verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tecmanite, that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Enzite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. So this one man killed 800 men. All right. And, and uh, the reason I'm bringing forth David's mighty men, you see, these are God's mighty men also. You ever notice that it was just in um, first, what was that, uh, Acts 17, it was just Paul, Silas, and I think maybe Timothy might have joined him later, if I'm not mistaken, 
And they said, man, these guys have turned the world upside down. Mm -hmm. Just two or three that believe in Christ with the, with the real gospel, walking around in the spirit. These guys were able to change the whole world. Wherever they went, the apostles, man, there was only a couple of them, and riots were breaking out in town. People were getting saved. They were thrown in jail, changing whole cities around because they believed God. So this is one of David's mighty men. This guy, Adino the Enzite. This guy lift up his spear against 800 and slew at one time. He didn't like swing it once and 800 people fell. That means he went to battle with 800 of them and killed 800. I mean, they probably ran away. But you see, these are mighty men of God. Now, we're not talking about physically fighting anybody. What we're talking about is being involved in spiritual warfare, being in the war. But see, these were considered mighty men of David, just like God has his mighty men. So it says in verse 9, And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, uh, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together in, uh, to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hands were weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. So as you can see, this guy, Dodo the Ahorite, or Eleazar, he runs to the battle and it makes clear back in verse 9 that Israel ran away. Okay, so as they were running away, here's another one. You notice how your teacher is, is how you be. If your teacher is fearless, you'll be fearless. If your pastor's not a wimp, you won't be a wimp. But as you can see, this guy was just like David, both of these men. The very fact that the Philistines were um, trying to um, fight against them, Israel ran away. And this guy ran into the battle. Mm -hmm. And it says he smote the Philistines until his hands were weary, but he still claved that sword in his hand. And that's why the Bible tells us, if you were to bring this into the New Testament, not to be tired of well-doing. Don't be weary of well-doing. Yeah. Why? Because we're in a battle and God will provide you with the strength to continue. Yep. But look at why he did this. The Lord wrought a great victory that day. So he wasn't fighting for himself. He was fighting in the name of the Lord. And if you look at it, that's what Christians should be doing is fighting in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Not fighting, but taking the battle to the enemy with the gospel and, and, the, and the spirit of God. Look at verse... Um, 11, and after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together into the troops, where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. So again, you got more of people running and leaving, people not thinking the battle's that serious, people who are thinking about preserving their own lives. And then you got some that stood their ground in the Lord and slew the enemy and God got the victory. Amen. These are the people of God. So it's a, he stood in the midst. So our people were running. He's still standing there. Like, you know, I'm going to battle. Look at verse 13. The three of the 30 chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. Now, you know, the Rephaim are a tribe of giants. 
So while, you know, they had to do this, this guy was down there in probably the worst quarters that you can be in, 14. And David was then in an hold. So you, as you can see, the king was being held down in the valley of Rephaim. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, uh, which is by the gate. So David was saying, man, if I only had something to drink, I miss the waters of Bethlehem. These guys are down here, you know, dehydrating me, taking the life from me. There are people to this day that love the world, don't even realize, man, you're bound in a garrison. You're not getting the water or the life of Christ. You're in here starving and, and thirsting to death, not even knowing it. But, they, but you know, David recognized, man, let me get that water from Bethlehem. And David longed for it. Look at verse 16. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. Why? Because he was set free. He understood the purpose of salvation. These three men broke through enemy lines just to give David drink. And you see, this is what we're supposed to be doing, breaking through enemy lines to, to impart that spirit to people, to give them the bread, to give them Jesus Christ so that these people can have. Yep. That's what this whole thing is about. But when David got the water, I ain't really that thirsty. Praise the Lord. He poured it out unto the Lord, giving God the honor. So you see, a, a Christian's life is unselfish. Mighty men are unselfish. Mm -hmm. Man, these are the men I want to be surrounded by. Look at verse 17, and he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. So as you can see, he gave honor. What about the people risking their lives? Never mind me. And this is where pastors and, and people that don't want to get in the fight should be doing. You should be sending money. We should be sending money to our brother Calvin in, in, in uh, Kenya. People that are in the battle, dealing with stuff. This man's walking 43 um, kilometers a day or a week or going through. That's still a lot. Doing all this just to preach the gospel. That's something to think about here. Yeah. But you see, um, but if we're worried about ourselves, we don't worry about our brother in other countries, people that are in the fight. But David recognized, why should I be honored with a cup of water even though these people were starving and thirsting me? Was it not also honor that these men loved me and believed God and broke through, three of them, to fight for the living God? Aren't their lives just as valuable as mine? But this is something that we need to come to and understand. These are the people of God, people of faith. That's right. All right, and uh, look at verse 18. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, uh, was chief among three. And he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them and had the name among three. You know, was he not most honorable of three? Therefore, he was their captain. Howbeit, he attained not unto the first three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man and Kebzael, of Kebzael, who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. 
he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. So this guy was a bad dude. This guy didn't care. Two lion-like men, when it says they're lion-like, I believe they were Nephilim. I believe they were giants that were, you know, because every, every tribe had them. Yeah. Like, you know, Solomon even used the Nephilim to help build the temple of God. All right. You can even look that up in, in 1 Kings chapter 9 mm -hmm. if you don't believe it. But that's exactly what went down. But if you if you pay attention to this, this guy fought these two giants and dealt with them. Mm -hmm. And then it says he also killed 300. And then on a snowy day, they took him and threw him into the um, into a pit on a snowy day against a lion. And he slew the lion. Man, this is a man of faith. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Um, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. Man, you want to talk about real men of God. But again, there's another example of having the staff. What is that staff? God's authority. Mm -hmm. It's time that Christians understand their authority in Christ and start looking at these uncircumcised Philistines for what they really are. Yep. They've got no power against the armies of God's mighty men for those who put their trust in him. Look at verse 22. These things did uh, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was most honorable than the thirty but he attained not to the first three, and David set him over his guard. Man, you want to talk about mighty men. This is the kind of men I want to be surrounded by. I want men that are willing to take the fight to the enemy. Yep. Now, some people could say, well, David hired good men that were strong, that could protect him. David didn't need their protection. David went after Goliath himself. Because he was a mighty man. Yep. David went to war with his men and slew giants with his men. But these are men of faith. And like I'm saying, unless we truly believe God, one thing all these men had in common, they fought for the living God and not for themselves. The only way the church is going to be empowered, that's going to raise up, that's going to grow and do what God says, is when these people, you know, decide to stop living life for them and hand it over to the Lord, what will you have me to do? Mm -hmm. Here's my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before you. you know, right? And let the Lord do what he needs to do with that vessel. That's why they tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 10, I mean 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, that we ought to be sanctified to flee youthful lust. Why? So what will eventually happen is God will, um, we will be vessels fit unto every good work. That's right. But that's why the church isn't doing anything because the church doesn't believe. They don't even recognize the enemy is uncircumcised and we're running from him. He's got no God and we're running from him. We got the one true God and we're afraid. Yep. That's an abomination Amen. if you really want the Amen. truth. Amen. Numbers 13 and 28. just want to make this point. wake up Christians it's time to understand what this whole thing is about it's time to give it all to Jesus because there's nothing the enemy can do That's right. 
Let's look at um, Numbers 13, look at verse 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the Amalekites in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites uh, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So as you can see, here's a mighty man of God right here. Mm -hmm. The people were afraid. You guys remember in Numbers 13, you know the story. They saw giants in the land. Moses spent, uh, sent 13 or 12 spies into the land to find out what the land was like. And again, if God gave them the land and this promise was given to Abraham, what difference does it make? Go and take the land like God says. But no, they wanted to see some spies. And you know what? They trusted in their eyes and their five carnal senses and not unto the one true God. And look where their senses led them. It led them to fear that they wouldn't even do it. So it says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses. This is verse 30 and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. So what gave Caleb his faith? Because he saw what was going on. Up to this point, God done fought every battle. He brought every plague. He parted the Red Sea. Yeah. So who's going to stand up against the living God? So yeah. Caleb had the same faith as David. Caleb could have said, man, did not God part the Red Sea? Did he not destroy the, the um, Israel? I mean, not the Israel, the Egyptians in that land? Mm -hmm. Every powerful world enemy that we had, God decimated. Okay, so Caleb was speaking from that faith that they could overcome. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him, see this, no mighty men in the midst with him, said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now, who determines that? You see, when you see things through carnal eyes, this is why Saul and the boys didn't jump in. Yeah. They were judging it from a carnal mindset. Verse 32, and they brought up an evil report in the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So they were looking for through the eyes of Saul. Mm -hmm. We're grasshoppers. We see ourselves as grasshoppers. So we definitely are grasshoppers in their side. You see, the devil knows who to pull it on. I've even worked in places where you have so-called Christians that the devil talked down to. I mean, told them straight up, you can shape up or ship out. And this is what it's going to be like. And you see the Christians sitting there looking all humble and scared. But you see, they never tried it on me, okay? Because when they had, they knew firsthand, I'm not the one. You're an uncircumcised Philistine, and I represent the armies of the living God. Yep. But when you see your job, your boss, your pastor, your government as the giant, you can't serve the living God because your eyes, your mind, and your heart will deceive you from what is true. Let's go to Joshua 5. what happens. Man, you may move on these other chumps in here, but you ain't moving on me like that because I know who I am in Christ. 
And that's what this thing is about. And some people say, oh, man, that's not love. It seems like he's trying to promote fighting. I ain't promoting nothing but faith. I'm trying to get the people of God to wake up. Paul says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. For no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please who? Jesus, who has chosen you to be a soldier. That's what I'm preaching here. So if people don't like it, turn it off. But for those who want Christ and those who want to believe, those are the only kind of people we're talking to. We're talking to the remnant. We're telling you today, you don't have to fear the world. You don't have to fear the devil. Okay? And you don't have to fear the flesh because God made us conquerors and not those that are oppressed under the enemy. Amen. That's right. Joshua 5 and verse 1. I'll take a little drink of water. I'll tell you what, though, what's happened today, one of the reasons why it's like, <clears throat> I mean, it's difficult enough as it is to try and talk to people about Jesus Christ, but then you got all these soft, so love, gushy, so-called Christian movies out there today that mm -hmm. are also leading people astray, mm -hmm. and they're blaspheming the name of God in the process, mm -hmm. and you got people, you got people in the church on board with that. Yes, right. And so it's like, uh, that's why we have to know the scripture but when you tell people no this is what the scripture says and I'm going to stand behind this not some blasphemous movie you get pushback for it and who's like who cares because mm -hmm. you know what one day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ that's and we're right. going to have to give an account of what we supported and what we didn't support that's right amen this is Joshua 5 I was looking at verse 1 and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites these are the giants that the people were scared of in Numbers 13 uh, which were on one side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. So this is a brand new breed. They said, man, we, well, we done dealt for 40 years in the wilderness and all this. Man, we're going to take the land. Mm -hmm. And you see, for a Christian, when you get sick of it, when you get sick of the oppression, when you get sick of the devil ruling over your kids and feeding them drugs and putting all kinds of fear in your life and trying to destroy you, okay? When you really get a grasp of what really is going on in this world and you get sick of it, you're going to do something. You're going to submit yourself before the Lord to get that power, to get that strength, so that you can do the will of God. This is what it's coming down to. Mm -hmm. You're not tired of it enough. You still love Egypt. You still love bondage. You still love to be in captivity. But you see, when you get sick of it and you realize this stuff doesn't amount to a hill of beans, you're going to turn to the one true God. And he's going to fill you, armor you up, and send you out into the battle that souls might be set free. Amen. They scared of the children of Israel. Verse 2. So now the giants are seeing the children of Israel as the giants, and they're seeing themselves as grasshoppers. One thing the devil has got is more bark than bite. Believe me when it comes to God. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel on the hill of their foreskins. Why? Because now they're going into the land. They're going into that inheritance. 
They're shedding all of Egypt behind them. All that stuff is away. God is now, they're born again now. They're going in to take the land. So he didn't want any of the old life connected to them. Yes, sir. Is this also be a representation of when we are baptized by water and then also baptized by fire? Yep, the second the second circumcision, absolutely. Okay. Because one is turning away and the other is being empowered to walk that way. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 4. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. So yes, they died in the wilderness, but this can even be brought to terms today. They died in their soul. They died in their own mind, their own will, their own emotions, and they would not follow God. That's why they didn't make it. Verse 5, now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not shew them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. So you see, God had to wait for that generation to die off. You guys are not going to inherit this land. You guys are not even worthy to. You don't even believe me. This land is for unbelievers. And you see how when they were ready to take the land, God didn't even want anyone in his army that was in unbelief. Man, let them go so we can have a full army of unbelief. Those grown-ups would have stayed in the wilderness forever, but the kids were like, man, this is garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to go into a real land. This can't be all there is to life. But you see, those people had their roots in Egypt, but the young kids didn't have their roots in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So you see, the wilderness was what they knew and what they were sick of, but the older people remembered old times past. And it's those old times past, the old captivities, the old sin in our lives that won't go away, that we won't let go away, that keep us from serving the one true God. Yep. Amen. Verse 7, and their children whom he raised up in their stead, uh, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt, have taken away all the filth, all things that held you back from off of you. Wherefore, the name of the place was called Gigal unto this day. And, the, you know, Gigal means rolling wheel. So I imagine what he's saying is he took away all the weight that was holding them back. And now they can get moving. Mm -hmm. The Lord just gave me an understanding on that. Verse 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gigal and, and kept the Passover one I mean, on the 14th day of the month at even the plains of Jericho, and they did eat the old corn of the land on the morrow after they passed over unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So what we got to understand about faith in God is this one thing. God didn't drop man on purpose. 
even though they didn't even have the war yet to determine who would win, God said, you're not getting any more manna. If you want to eat, it's on the other side of the Jordan because you're going to be victorious this day because you believe in me. You have taken away the reproach of all the world that you can serve me. Yep. Why the church is afraid to represent God today and afraid to stand up to Goliath, the uncircumcised Philistine, is because they're still in the world, mm -hmm. still feeding on the world. The world is still God to them. And because they haven't cut off that reproach, they're still walking around dragging it, which gives them no power to pursue God. Yep. Amen. But man, when you cut from that, you get a clear perspective of who the enemy is and who's not. So just how God gave David five smooth stones, and David couldn't miss, you know, he took away the food here. Don't worry about it. How he gave Abraham another name, the father of many nations. When God gets ready to do something, he proclaims in faith long before the situation comes to pass. So we've got to learn to believe God and to walk in this so that we can inherit what he gave us. We gave three examples of faith. David with five stones because Goliath had four brothers. Abraham called the father of many nations, even though he's a 99-year-old, you know, not having a kid or whatever. You know, I know Abraham had to say, man, this is crazy, you know, but I'm just saying with that, but he believed God. And then you got them here. You ain't getting no more manna because you're getting ready to go in the land and do what I'm telling you to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's just amazing how God's faith is used. Verse That's 13. Right. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What sayest my Lord unto thy servant, unto his servant? So what we got to understand is, how David was, how Abraham was, because everybody likes to look at Abraham as a 99-year-old man that walked around with a beard, benevolent, just living life. People don't understand. Abraham went to war too. Yeah. When Lot was taken, Abraham went there with less men and they fought the very giants mm -hmm. that, that his people ended up fighting later and won and grabbed Lot and took his butt out of there. Yeah. You know, and took victory. So, Abraham was no wimp. Moses fought against the giants as well. Moses was in the battle. Mm -hmm. Moses was no wimp. David was no wimp. Joshua, who followed Moses, was no wimp. More importantly, we got a Christophany here of Jesus Christ coming to the ground, ready to dig in deep too. Jesus wasn't going to lead them into the battle to inherit the land by themselves. Jesus was right there with them with his sword drawn. And Joshua was like, are you force or against us? He said, man, I'm not coming to join your army, and I'm not coming to join the enemy's army. I'm coming to lead my army into the battle because we are going to be victorious. Yeah. So Jesus Christ coming even before he came in the flesh, had his sword drawn. I imagine him wearing the same thing they were wearing, in uniform, ready for battle with his people. <laughs> this is the Lord we serve. Amen. And the captain of the host of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, 
Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereof thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua said, you know, um, he knew it was the Lord. Lord, command your servant. The Lord said, the first thing you could do was take them shoes off, because this ground is holy. But you see, this is the goodness of God. This is where Christians should be. Our God is a God of war, okay? And I'm not talking about that's how he lives. I'm saying our God will be ready to take it to the enemy wherever he wants to meet. If you want to talk about this thing, we can talk about it. If you want to go to war, we can go to war. Because God's got all the firepower, which is the Holy Ghost, that we will ever need. And we've got the only commander, the captain of the Lord's host, that will be with us in any battle. But we've got to learn and trust in the one true God. Daniel chapter 6. And then I'm going to go straight into the New Testament. Daniel 6. chapter 6, let's look at verse 1, and it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom in 120 princes, which should be um, over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, um, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, Darius is a Median that merged with the Persians who was Cyrus. Okay. And Daniel is not either one of them. He was a man of God that was tried, that stood for the Lord no matter what. And Daniel's being promoted. He was promoted in Babylon. He's now being promoted in Persia. Mm -hmm. Makes no difference to God. God is going to have his people where they need to be. That's right. If you stand for the Lord. So it says in verse 4, uh, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could, they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So you see right away when the devil can't accuse you, he's going to attack you religiously, politically. A lot of people may try and get you fired in the workplace, talking about, well, let's just say they're always late or they don't work. They go to the supervisor, supervisors, but they really don't like you because you're a Christian. Right. But the supervisor says, well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's always on time. And he's, he's actually doing better than you guys are. So if I were you, I'd get back to work. So what will they do? Wait a minute. He's a Christian. Yep. And there's no Christianity that's preached in the workplace. I got him. This is how evil the devil is. <laughs> but they're now going to attack you. So look at verse 6. Uh, then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and governors and the princes and counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man 
for thirty days, save O thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. And this is what they're getting ready for today. Don't you see it in California? They're trying to make reading the Bible and speaking against homosexuality illegal. Mm -hmm. You see how they're coming against your God? This is the same garbage that we got going on now. Yeah. This is the exact same thing. They can't get to you any other way. So now what we'll do is let's just make the Bible illegal. Let's just plan speaking against homosexuality, which is the true agenda, illegal. This is what they're doing. So it says in verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore did uh, therefore King Darius sign the writing and the decree? Now, why did King Darius sign this? He thought they were looking out for him. You know, O king, live forever. You know, we just want you to do this, you know, because after all, we are looking out for you. This is the same way the devil is looking out for the homosexual. Yep. We're here. We love you. We're just trying to give you rights. But you see, those wicked Christians, those dirty, filthy Christians, they don't want to see anything like that in the midst. So as we're proclaiming truth, we're looked at as the bad guy. Exactly. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And he did aforetime. So Daniel's doing this because he's saying, Lord, I know I'm going to need you. I know what the enemy is trying to do. But he remembered Jerusalem. He's praying to the Lord. Yep. Uh, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So it wasn't enough that they, you know, proclaim whatever. Now they need some evidence. Verse 12. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man uh, that shall ask a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save O thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, uh, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. So he's praying to God three times a day. They even had the exact number and everything. This is crazy. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel uh, to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So he knew right away, like Pilate knew when they delivered Jesus over. Mm -hmm. They delivered him for envy. He liked Daniel and he loved the favor of the Lord. A lot of people don't notice about King Cyrus. King Cyrus looked after the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. right? He was considered God's anointed, but he was by no means a Christian. So sometimes God can give you favor with certain people that God's will can be done in the world. So it's important to obey God, not just to look at people and just, nah, he's an unbeliever. I don't want nothing to do with him. Hey, if God is using this particular person to have his need done, then let the Lord work. Yeah. But if it goes against God, you can't have anything to do with that. That's what this is about. 
Anyway, verse 15, then these men assembled, know the king, and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought uh, and laid before the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it uh, with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, not Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Darius being bound by his own words, made it very clear to Daniel, if your God is the God that I know, that did so much, you know, even to help me get this kingdom, he's going to deliver you, Daniel. Don't worry about it. But you see, even though he had faith towards Daniel, he also didn't jump in and say, let me switch the decree. So you see, salvation truly is an individual affair. Yeah. But you got to remember, Darius is uncircumcised. So he's not going to have the faith of Daniel. He has faith to push Daniel into it to believe he's going to be delivered. But he didn't say, bind me with you, Daniel, right. so that you and I can go through this together. Right. So see, as you stand for the Lord, you will be standing alone in most cases. Yep. He didn't jump in there with him. All right, so then it says, then the king went to his palace. I believe I'm in verse 18. Yes, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. So one thing he did do, let me correct it, he fasted. He said, all right, David, I, I mean, Daniel, I can help you in this sense. I can fight this war from a different end. I can fast for you. But he also could have fasted in the lion's den. So he didn't take any pleasure, and he wanted to free Daniel. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the lion, the den of lions. And when he came to the den... Uh, he cried with a, a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest uh, continually, able to deliver thee from the lions. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, and they have not hurt, and they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Man, that's a beautiful thing that you see God's people go through. The one thing God's people know is no matter where you are, the Lord will deliver you. Amen. It is time for us to believe this. He says, I am the Lord thy God and I change not. Yep. We've got to learn to believe in the living God. That's right. So let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. One thing that everyone has to come to realization of, and, and this goes for everybody, and I'm not boasting in any way shape or form because it's just something we got to remember is that if the Lord tells us to do something 
we got to have the faith to believe that when he tells us in obedience, he's going to be right there with us. And that's, that's right. what all of this is about, really. It's just, if he says to say a thing at work, you say the thing. And, it, right. and he's going to be there to back you up. And, and a lot of people, though, they, they've got it so twisted today, say, well, if I do that and I lose my job, how's the Lord with me? That's right. And you see how because Daniel stayed pure before the Lord, God was going to deliver him. Right. He said the angel of the Lord stopped up the mouth of lions. Who do you think that was? Jesus Christ. That was Jesus. Yeah. You know, so this is these are things that we ought to understand and recognize. And the reason why I said angel that way is because, remember, um, Daniel chapter 6 is also written in Aramaic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things wouldn't be seen the way it would be the angel of the Lord. Right. He said God sent his angel. All right, so anyway, this is Philippians 4, and let's look at verse 8, and it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good or of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So this is how the Lord tells us to say to stay circumcised and separate from the world. Pay attention to things that are true, that are honest, that are sincere, that are godly, okay, spiritual, that we can meditate on. And then it says in verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, haven't we seen this in many cases? God's with them, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I am learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's what we got to learn to do. Christians are greedy men running after things. Contentment, the Bible makes clear, and godliness is where great gain is not in what we can have in this physical world. Mm -hmm. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. So I know how to be abased, and I know how to succeed or overcome. Um, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I was departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So you see how Paul walked away. Paul wasn't given by anybody either. You know how I many people shut their doors on him when he came to the Lord? But he says through affliction, through sufferings, these things I've been through. But I can do all things. Why is Paul making this statement? Because he went through it. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Yes. But you find a lot of people today, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. And you ain't been through nothing. Exactly. You won't stand for Christ. You don't even know the capacity behind those words or the depth. But you, I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. Then why don't you do it? But you see, this is the whole point because you don't believe that term. Right. So this is coming from a believer. Right. So in your spare time, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and you look at all Paul went through. 
through jailings, through beatings, through hunger, through rob, through nakedness. I mean, what you said, through robbings, through nakedness, through fastings, through prayer. All these things he went through, 200 stripes laid upon his back and everything that he went through. But Paul says, even the governor of, um, where's that place in Damascus? Some governor went after Paul to kill him. Um, and, the, um, and the Lord had to... Agrippa. Yeah, and Agrippa, uh, the king Agrippa tried to um, kill him. Mm -hmm. But then he had to be lowered in a basket by night unto the ground. And he said he, the Lord escaped, he escaped his hands. So the Lord delivered Paul. But as you can see, Paul walks in the, the same faith. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Luke 10. Luke 10 and 17. I'm almost done. But it is funny, too, um, because of the, the two King Agrippas in the book of Acts, is that when he stood before the second one, and he said, Thou hast almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so he went through all of that, because even Felix was saying, you know, he would have been spared had he not made his decree unto uh, the king. Right. But it was it was his appointment to go before the king, and that's what they did, because they were looking at it from the fleshly standpoint, saying, mm -hmm. man... He wouldn't have to suffer all this if he just basically kept his mouth shut, what mm -hmm. they were saying. That's right. But he wanted to go before the king because in his mind, and this is what all of us really got a grip on, is, is that everywhere, every person that Paul stood in front of, he preached the gospel. That's right. Even unto the king. That's right. Amen. So, you know, that's, that's absolutely true. This is Luke 10. Look at verse 17. And it says... And the seventy, which were Jesus' disciples, returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And you see, that's what keeps us in the right mindset to pursue Christ. He says, I have given you. That's not past tense. That's not um, future tense. That's present tense. Yep. That is perfect tense where he says, I have given you power to overcome or power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. But unless we believe this, then what use is it? Mm -hmm. That's what this is about. Let's Amen. move on. I want to go to Romans uh, 2, and let's look at verse 23. These are all going to be short. That's right. Yeah, Paul even said in Acts 20, I'm going to be persecuted, you know, but none of these things move me. Neither do I count my own life worth something to me. Exactly. But it's all about Christ. This is what Paul says. So don't try and give me no, that was Old Testament, they were barbarians. The same thing holds true today. Amen. God's warriors, evil men, they say all who will live godly will suffer persecution. Yep. But evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So let's look at uh, Romans 2, look at verse 23. And it says, Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonoreth thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written.
For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Mm. So as you can see, when you trust in God, and you and you're gonna be circumcised, meaning separated from things, and you're gonna follow what God says, then that's good. But if you're gonna be circumcised, you know, physically for the purpose of looking clean on the outside, but on the inside you're still connected to the world, you're still uncircumcised. That's pretty much what he's telling him. You're yeah. still uncircumcised. And that's how I like how Schombach said, he said, you can speak in tongues and still be carnal. You know, that got nothing to do with it. That's a prayer language given by the Holy Ghost before God. Mm -hmm. But just because you do that don't mean that you're um, you're spiritual. You can still be carnal. All right, so he said it's made uncircumcision, 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So you see, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteous of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be circumcision? He's speaking of Gentiles. If you want to come to Jesus, even though you haven't known him, and you're keeping what the law of God is, which is, you know what, love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, that you'll be accepted. You will be counted for circumcision. Okay, and Paul's going to explain this. Look at verse 27. I think that's where I am. Yes. Verse 27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, it, it, I mean, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is he um, circumcision, uh, which is outward in the flesh. Now, you can see, this is all a matter of the heart. You cannot be a Christian outwardly. You can't just carry your Bible. You can't just go to church. You can't just say all the godly things. But when it comes time to represent Jesus, you transgress the law. You don't even want to be a part of it. You're afraid. Because the men of God only, only cared about what God wanted and not themselves. Mm -hmm. 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. The circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter, <laughs> whose praise is not of men, but of God. So as you can see, when you perform outwardly, you are you seek the praise of men. But if you pray inwardly, or you are a Jew or a Christian, as you would say, inwardly, then you're going to live a life according to God. One way of knowing how we all are, how do you pray when nobody's around? How do you study when no one's around? How do you live when no one's around? That's you. And don't try and dress it up any other way. Amen. It's something that we all need to work on and move on. But if we only are sanctified when we're around other believers, that's being a Jew outwardly. Mm -hmm. That's seeking the love and the praise of men. But when you praise God, you know he's always watching. Right. You know he's always listening. So you become inward where it's a change in your nature where it's the circumcision of the heart and not the foreskin of your penis this is about the heart what you feel your connection to him how you don't want to hurt him what he means to you and that's why david confronted goliath and made it very clear man who is this guy you know because he's defying my god so i'm gonna deal with him not because you commanded me to do it but because this is what I want to do. This is my fight. You talked about my God. 
You're to find God's people. So I've got to represent God to, to do battle with you. Amen. This is what the Christian won't do today. Exactly. Exactly. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter. Man, you know, I would go through the Hall of Faith, but I'm going to read like the end of it. Let's go to um, Hebrews 11, and I'm going to look at the end of this. Because this gives by faith with everybody. And we don't have that kind of time today to go into it. So the rest of Hebrews 11, read in your spare time. I'm going to choose Hebrews 11. And let's look at verse 24. Hebrews 11 and verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So as you can see, Moses gave it all up to the Lord and pursued God. And that's when he met the Lord. When Moses was a fleeing felon and he left Egypt behind, that's where he ended up meeting the Lord in the wilderness. But as long as he was connected to Egypt, you see how he didn't, he didn't know God. But he chose to be with his people. He had not forgotten. So it says in verse 26, esteeming the, re esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches uh, than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. This tells you here that Jesus is the burning bush. It says it right here, esteeming to the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So, you know, they said Moses ain't never met Jesus on earth. So why are they mentioning Christ here? Because Jesus was that burning bush. Yep. Look at verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, and by dried land, which the Egyptians essayed to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab uh, perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say? And what, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah or Jephthah um, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. So he says for time's sake he can't go into this guess what? I can't either but he's saying by faith this is the point he's making mm -hmm. who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed violent, valiant in fight, turned to flight and the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, that's Elijah, and others were tortured, not accepted deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So what is this about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? This is about on that last day, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise with Jesus and those who also believe it. Mm -hmm. What will we do? Meet with the Lord in the clouds that his will will be done. That's right. 
that his finished work will be done and we will live with the Lord forever and ever. Verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder like Isaiah the prophet, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So these guys did all this with no Holy Ghost. Okay, they they believed God and they and, and in faith they were able to do what they do. Verse 40. God having provided some better things for us that they without us should not be made perfect. They were not made perfect. So there's no excuse for us. We've got the opportunity to be like Christ more than anyone. We've got the opportunity to be more in Christ than anyone that preceded us. What's the difference between them and us? They separated from the world and believed God. Amen. We're hanging on to the world, trying to incorporate the Holy Ghost. And the two just don't run together. Romans 8, and I'm done. Today, normally I would get right to the spot I was looking for. Jeez. Romans 8 and 27. And you thought you knew where I was going, uh huh. Romans 8 and 27. And he that searcheth the spirits knoweth what is in the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession. For the saints according to the will of God. Who is this? Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus makes intercession, intercession for us all the time before the Father. Why? So that God's will can be done. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. So I don't know about anybody else. But I want to be in that hall of faith with the Lord. With the rest of them. I want to be with that great cloud of witnesses. And that's why he tells you in Hebrews chapter 12, lay aside every weight, man. Now that you got a cloud of witnesses watching you, run your race with patience, man. Don't let anything hold you back from this. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate and be conformed to the image of his son. And he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called, in whom he called, them he also justified. In whom he justified, them he also glorified. And what did we see tonight? Countless examples of this. A lion's den, fighting with giants, doing all this different stuff. But every single person of God was able to overcome because God had a call for them. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Mm -hmm. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
So if God the Father can give up his own son for you, what won't he give to you because he loves you? Because he wants you to be a part of this inheritance. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now, where do we see this? With Daniel. Mm -hmm. They tried to accuse Daniel only to find out it didn't work. Okay? So this is how God works. They tried to accuse the Hebrew boys. It didn't work. Why? Because God justified. How many times have we been accused of things that we just knew the enemy had us and God came through? Yep. This is, we are living witness that God's word is true. Amen. So put your trust in him, people. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So let's look at this. People want to talk about the love of God, but they don't want to incorporate tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. The very guy writing this is the very one that went through it. But somehow we're supposed to be better than them. But you see, this is the love of God that he's going to take you through persecution. He's going to take you through tribulation. Mm -hmm. But see, the God that people are painting today is he'll never let anything happen to you. You'll just go scot-free. You'll even have peace. There'll be no trouble around you. That's a lie. Yeah. So anyway, he says, man, we're led asleep to the slaughter. The walking with Christ is a real thing where it takes real faith. Yep. This is no exactly. joke. Verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. For I am persuaded. So Paul is persuaded. If you're not persuaded, what Paul's about to say means nothing to you unless you believe it. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So some people would say, well, they can't separate us from the love of God, but you can walk away and leave God if you want to. Okay, this doesn't mean God violates your free will. Amen. These are for those who want to be incorporated in the will of God, who are faithful to God, who are in the armies of God, who will not let the uncircumcised Philistine dictate to you what is going to be exactly. because he's godless and you've got one. Yeah. So in doing so, we are more than conquerors. So I just want to say to people with that, you know, I hope that this message digs in deep because what we need to know is if we are distanced from God and we have fear and we don't have the faith to represent him, I'm telling you to spend time with him and these things will be done. If you look at Acts, what is it, uh, Acts chapter 3 or 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they had taken note that they had been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you spend time with Jesus in his word, if you spend time with Jesus in prayer, if you spend time doing the things that Jesus says, like preach the gospel and live a life of holiness, you will have a boldness to be more than a conqueror and will serve the Lord as God says to serve. 
okay? What the holdup is, you're caught up in things you don't need to be. You've given allegiance to things you don't need to be a part of. But when you spend time with Jesus, all this stuff goes on automatic. Because it's just how Saul tried to put the, the helmet of flesh on David's head. We get the mind of Christ. That we can only think like Christ, walk like Christ, talk like Christ, and cast demons out of hell like Christ. That's what this is about. Walking with your creator. That this uncircumcised Philistine, which is the devil, will not dictate to you in any, in any part of life what you do. Amen. Because we are overcomers in Christ, and it's time that we live up to that inheritance. Amen. So I just want to say I love you, and Sarah's going to present something, and then we are done. Let's go to Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. Right, Mark 9 and 14. And when he had come, came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with him. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And when he had asked the scribes, What question ye have with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which is, hath a dumb spirit. And whithersoever so he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake with thy disciples, and they could not cast him out, and they that they shouldest cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So in this time, though, this man tried to bring uh, his son to his disciples, mm -hmm. and his disciples could not cast him out. So that also shows the faith of his disciples, which also goes on us. It's like, where is our faith? You know, if we were in the same situation and someone brought up their child and said, you know, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm speaking to myself when I say this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, why can't you do this? Shouldn't you be able to do this? Exactly. And so he's telling his disciples, man, how long am I going to be with you and talk with you? Well, you still can't do these and things. Call them faithless and perverse. Yeah, he held. He didn't hold back. No. <laughs> Verse twenty. But you know what? Sorry. Go ahead. That's a great point because faithless. You know, it's kind of like what we've been talking about. They don't believe. Mm. But he's given the second answer. What is perverse? Another word for perversion is confusion. Confusion. Yeah. So you know they're tied in. Great point. Exactly. Yeah. And great point too. Verse twenty. And they brought him unto him. And when they saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since he came into the child? And he said, Of a child. And oft times he hath cast him into the fire and into the waters and destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. So it's saying here, Jesus didn't just cast the demon out right away. What did he say? He was, he was going on the guy's belief. If you believe, then all things are possible, but you've got to believe. That's 
Absolutely. And that's the thing for us too, is, is that all things are possible in Jesus Christ if we just believe. Mm -hmm. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said in tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And so this is what the father, I mean, he was just so uh, uh, concerned for his child, but at the same time he said, help my unbelief. And that's the same thing that goes for us, because many a times, again, I speak of myself, is, is that we may believe that, I'm not saying that we're not Christians, but we're only partly that way, because there's still part of our lives that's not in belief with mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And we got to pray that, Lord, help mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. So there's their unbelief right there. Mm -hmm. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come out, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, "Why can't, uh, why could we not cast him out?" And he said unto them, "This kind can can, this kind can come forth not by nothing but by prayer and fasting." And that's another life of a Christian is mm -hmm. through much prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall raise again the third day. But they understood not that he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. So, again, it, it, he was trying to explain that, that to them, that he came for an appointed time. And while he was here, though, and he was, he was teaching his disciples because he knew after they were gone, they were going to have to have the faith. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for us is that we know that Jesus Christ is real, mm -hmm. but we have to have that faith because we are living in a faithless and perverse generation now sure. that we can't just speak it and people believe. Mm -hmm. There's going to have to come a point in each and every one of our lives that we are sanctified. That is the ultimate goal. So that way we can put his disciples. His power on display mm -hmm. in these last days. That's right. Amen. You know, and that's just something that we all got to realize that it's time to stop living below our inheritance. Amen. It's time to stop letting this devil dictate to you how things are going to be. Because when Jesus walked the earth, he told the devil what to do. That's right. And if we be partakers of that same inheritance, then we need to walk in that victory that Jesus gave everyone that Amen. believes on him. All right, so um, this is our prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Lord God, I just, I just want to thank you for everything because I know I don't do it enough, Lord Jesus Christ, for everything that you've done. Yes, Lord. Lord God... For simply you just died on the cross for our sins. You gave yourself up knowing what would happen. And I just thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for taking the burdens that we could not bear. And you put them on the cross. You nailed them on the cross, Lord Jesus Christ. You suffered everything that we suffered, but you did not give in to it. And that's what you're calling us to do. Yes, Lord. And you're also calling for your people to wake up. Because there is a world out there today, Lord Jesus Christ, that's lost and going to hell because the church as a whole has fallen asleep. It's given itself over to the enemy. 
And we have got to be accounted worthy to be a part of that remnant, to be a part of the army of Jesus Christ, Lord God, that in these last days, Lord, we will grow stronger in our relationship with you. We will bear fruit for you. We will make disciples of you, Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And I'm praying for that strength over your people. That everything that we are going through, Lord God, we understand that it means absolutely nothing concerning or, or compared to the fact that there are people out there today, Lord Jesus Christ, who are on the streets. Our every needs have been taken care of. We have a place to stay, Lord. We have yes, money Lord. in our pocket, Lord Jesus Christ, and we yes, still Jesus. look inward to ourselves. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus, God Almighty, that all those insecurities that we have be broken today in Jesus' name, for you are the rock of salvation. Yes, Lord God, we have got to get out there in the fight. We have got to have a challenge, Lord Jesus Christ, that keeps us in the battle till you come back or until the day we stand before you, Lord Jesus. And we cannot get taken away by the word. Everything has got to stand on the word of Jesus Christ because if it doesn't, it's of the spirit of Antichrist. And that is the truth. And you are truth. You said, my word is spirit in it. They are truth, Lord God, and they are life. And that is how we have to see it, Lord Jesus Christ. That is the cut, dry gospel. And if we want to put your power on display, Lord God, then we have got to take off and put off the helmet of flesh, the armor of flesh, and put on the armor of salvation. And we got to keep it on, Lord Jesus Because every time we get closer to you, Lord, every time, Lord God, we get sanctified to you, the enemy is just going to press in harder and harder to pull us away, to pull us back into the world. And there's a time when we got to stand up and say, no more Satan. No more are you going to reign in our lives because I am a child of God and I'm going to stand firmly on the word of Jesus Christ. That is how we have to be, Lord God. Even if we're the only ones that are preaching it, even if we're the only ones that are teaching it, Lord God, I pray that we still stand and trust in you no matter what friends family whoever says we trust and believe in jesus christ yes, lord. that is how it has to be lord god in these last days and i pray lord if we are playing games with you that we stop this very day if we are in our feelings if we're in our emotions if we're trying to drag people into the gospel we stop and we get our lives right with you that we pray lord god that you will separate us out That no cell phones, no iPads, no nothing, but just you and us, Lord Jesus Christ, so we can be as one who cries in the wilderness, Lord God, so we can be full of your Holy Ghost power. To go out there and to tell a a lost generation about you, Lord God, because that is how it's happening. These kids being raised today don't even know who you are because they're being raised by the devil. Yes, And I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord God, that we just give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. Yes, Lord. And we stop living. Hallelujah, we stop living the sensitive salvation and start living in the true salvation, which is you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking and praying for a fulfilling of your Holy Ghost power, for a fresh anointing upon this ministry and every ministry out there today, Lord God, that is in the fight, that's Thank in the Lord. fire. Bless them, Lord. Bless our brother in Kenya, Lord Jesus Christ, and everything that he's going through, that you that you hear his prayers, Lord God, as you do, that you be over him. And everyone in infirmities, Lord God, touch their lives. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, for everything that you have done. Thank you, Bless Lord. and praise the name of Jesus. In yes, Jesus Lord. Christ, your most holy name I pray. In Jesus Amen. Name. Amen.